Welcome to Think Like a Penguin, The Art of Flying. This is the podcast to help you think outside the box, live more confidently against the grain and become your more authentic self. Penguins don't traditionally fly, but what's to say they won't one day? As always, I'm very excited because I have a guest today. Philippa Henderson is joining me and our paths crossed because of our mutual interest in working in the mental health space and I'm very proud and honoured and excited for this conversation. So thank you so much for joining me on my blue couch in my home. With all your beautiful art around me. It's just fabulous. Um, Can you introduce yourself, whatever comes to mind, in a nutshell, a one-liner, who are you? Who am, who am I? I think I'm a combination of so many things in the fact that I love the fact that I have recreated myself about four times with different jobs and that has just um, made me the person I am today. And um, I, I would describe myself as courageous, energetic and a little bit quirky. I would also describe you as those three things. That's fantastic. Amazing. Um, and in terms of what you stand for today, we'll start there and then I'm sure other things will come up. I will just preface this conversation by saying, take care when you listen, because I'm sure there'll be some challenging topics that will come up. And um, I will put a link to any relevant sources that Beautiful. we need in the um, footnotes for this episode. But Anything around mental health, I'm sure we'll be sharing some personal stories, so just take care listening, guys. Um, Yeah, so in a nutshell, what do you do for your work now? And then we can kind of talk to why you've, what's informed you being here. So what I do now is I work in the wellbeing space, whereby it's mental health first aid. And the best way to describe that is for those people that are really aware of physical first aid and getting your physical first aid certificate. Ozzy will just chime in as a <laughs> Carry on, carry on, North Cat. And um, with physical first aid, we teach people not to be the doctors or the nurses, but to actually support the individual with that um, wound or care. And mental health is the same, that we are observing the changes and getting the professional help that is required. So I teach people to have tough conversations when needs be Mm -hmm. and to trust your gut on what you are seeing when someone has major changes of thoughts, feelings and behaviour. Yeah. Amazing. And the work you do is incredible. Would you say you're predominantly in a certain demographic, going to schools or more businesses, or you are spread across community? Well, it's really fascinating because um, my journey on the four different industries is um, I was working, would you believe, in the liquor industry and saw um, three generations drinking my wine and realized I didn't want to be part of the problem, I needed to be part of the solution. And so then I started working with youth at risk, and they were at risk because they were long-term unemployment, homelessness, or had been in trouble with the police. And so my heart is with youth, and I really love working with young people because you see the huge potential. Mm-hmm. The environment though also means that you need to 
inform and work with parents and educate parents. And I think that's a really fascinating thing. I look at my parents' attitude towards mental health. Yep. And we've changed um, a significant amount, but still not enough. Yeah. And the fact that there are still people out there that don't think that mental health is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And they just think it is um, a sign of weakness. And there is still stigma. So, you know, I've, I've very quickly come to realise that it's a layered communication, that we need to work with communities, um, and that is community leaders. And we're back, because Blood Australia just gave you a call. So, uh, that well, and, and you know, this is part of my philosophy, Share, I'm called the Sharing Shed, because I believe we need to share stories and share a part of our lives with each other. And so I share my plasma to be able to contribute and save lives. And do you know, every time I hook up to a machine, I just look and see all of the incredible people that are there doing either whole bloods or plasma. Yeah. And I just go, wow, they care and they're part of this incredible community. It's amazing. My housemate actually shout out to Andreas does it every week. That's the limit. You yeah, can do so it I do it fortnightly. Which is just ridiculous. He's like, oh, there's nothing of him, bless him. He's this tiny guy, but he, um, yeah, I can't. My veins are too small, apparently, which is well, and annoying. but I've got, I've got my fiftieth heart. Well, so um, fifty oh. donations, yeah, well, and yeah. then yeah, so it's it's cool, but it's plasma. So I donate plasma, and you can't do that. Um, you can only do that every six weeks. Yeah, no, fair enough. So back to your um, career initially in the liquor industry. Yep. And then you very courageously and um, boldly said, this is ridiculous, I need to go into the cure and into the help. Absolutely. What were the steps? Because I'm sure it wasn't easy just to go straight from a probably quite successful business in the liquor industry to, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. And take as long as you need to explain this step because I don't think it's a quick one. It was a it was a massive journey and it was interesting because when I saw the three generations drinking my wine, my immediate response was, okay, stop selling cheap wine, right? Um, and then the lowest, the youngest people wouldn't be able to afford it. And so that was my theory, right? Yeah. That it must be the lower... Um, bracket of wine that is abused and so that was my solution but it didn't feel comfortable and as the journey of life happens I sat beside this beautiful lady on an aircraft and she was an ED doctor and so I pushed and explored the option the um, reasons that there was so much um violence and problems in EDs and I said um, is it ice because at the time methamphetamines was really in the newspapers and um, you know I wanted to understand what it was all about and she just looked at me and she said absolutely unequivocally not it is alcohol and so still then clinging on to some sort of hope I guess um, I said is it demographical is it 
you know, lower socioeconomic. What, what is it? And she said, well, that's the interesting thing with alcohol. It has no class separation. It is our biggest challenge in community mm-hmm. uh, with domestic violence, aggressive behaviour. And at that moment, I kind of went, oh. So reducing my cheap end wine was not part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And right now, unfortunately, Australia has now got the gold medal in um, binge drinking yep. globally. I'm not surprised. Those that have listened to the podcast before will know that I don't drink and I never have drunk. Yeah. And I am still shocked at how much drinking is just part of the culture. Yep. It's part of every day. Even parents at kids' sports yep. days in 10 in the morning, you know, or it's just every single event. Even um, those, I go to the cricket a lot, and those snakes yep. where they put their beer bottles and it's who can create the longest snake of the, all these beer um, cups. It's just... And celebrated weirdly as well. Like people celebrate how if you're drunk and acting stupid, it's almost something to celebrate and laugh about and rejoice in. It's bizarre. Bizarre. It it is bizarre. And when we really explore, like, you know, there are so many things that are celebrated with alcohol, be it births, deaths, and everything. So, you know, I purposely do breakfasts with mental health. Because that's the oh. one time, and that's why I consciously do breakfast. Oh, I never realised. That's yeah. great. Yeah, and it's and it's just and I, personally, breakfast is one of my favourite mm-hmm. times, and it's the only time we really don't drink alcohol. Yeah, I had an ex, unfortunately, who um, would sort of just say, oh, I'm ha- "I'll have an apple juice until midday." Well, the apple juice was actually a cider, wow. so it yep. became kind of this acceptable replacement and it's like well it's not apple juice is it let's be honest it's yeah. alcohol so yeah unfortunately it's it is it's a real problem so and and I I looked at my friends who worked in hospitality and there was I used to a have to hide that I wasn't drinking yeah and so we'd go to a work function and I would have a tumbler and I would have organised with the barman to set up a tap and just say, can I have a gin and tonic, mm. my gin and tonic, and he would just give me a tonic. Wow. So, you know, Isn't that's that a shame the that the, the kind of the more rational, logical approach is the one that you're having to hide. Um, so initially you started for yourself giving up alcohol. Were you still selling at that point? I was still selling. Yeah. So I, that, was my, that was my control mechanism to reduce drinking and do safer drinking. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, so, and I still do enjoy my wines in a very responsible way. Yeah. And so I, I have consciously chosen to really reduce it out of my life as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, enjoy it appropriately um, around food and friends. Yeah. It's interesting you say you had to hide when you weren't drinking because even last night I had a social event and I won't name name and shame, but it was a secret Santa and there was 24 presents and I counted 18 wow. of them were alcohol-related yeah. vessels, cocktail yeah. shaker things. And I my present that I chose was swapped twice. So we did it where you could steal yeah. a present Initially, I had wine glasses, yeah, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's a bit awkward," because she's definitely not going to use them. So a teammate was like, "I'll take those and we'll swap it for something else." 
And then I um, opened another present and it was one of those glasses that you could fit a whole bottle of wine in. And again, everyone around the table was like, oh, that's, no one's accommodated for Liv's lack of drinking. And I felt like an inconvenience. And then someone swapped it for some body lotion, which I was very grateful for. And she said, well, you're not going to use it, so I may as well take it from you. And um, it just, just out of all the presents, over probably 60% were alcohol and, and So we've got a group of friends and we actually challenge, we just say to each other, no chocolates and no booze. Yeah, well. Right. That's great. That's really great. And it's been on, uh, even when I've gone on dates, mm. the odd occasion, obviously I know that person's not good, right for me, so easy red flag, but they get offended or uncomfortable okay. if I want a lemonade. It's like, Ooh, I don't know how to handle this. So it's really, Culture, really challenging. Yeah, so how did you go about, presumably you had to say goodbye to some friends because I'm sure certain people didn't get on board with it, but how did you go about for yourself stopping or limiting your drinking to then also changing your career? Because I think a lot of people, your customers would take that as an insult or a judgment or well, it was it personally. It was interesting because it was a time where I did a lot of personal development as far as, yes, um, I had a business the, called the Wine Vault, and um, it, I had almost lost my identity by being the Wine Vault. Yeah. And so this was at a time where I went, wow, I've invested so heavily in this business, and this business now um, rocks my soul as far as the fundamentals of it. But what I'd always done, and this was the link to it, is I had always done training and I had always, so I used to train up the young staff and do wine tastings and service tastings and service um, workshops. So for me, the training was a consistent all through my career. So I rolled back into facilitation and training and just took those skills mm -hmm. and applied them into a space which was much more community and service orientated yeah did you go straight so obviously I know your journey and losing your dear friend did you go straight from the wine industry ending into mental health or where did your losing of your friend come into the picture of now specifically doing mental health and having your beautiful bus Gabriella? <laughs> so so what happened is I used to actually use wine tastings in a positive way and I used to do fundraising for uh, respite homes. And one of the respite homes, my friend Gabrielle was a nurse at, and it was called Mount Lawley, um, Lady Lawley. And it was just the most beautiful respite home. And so I would, I still had a sense of service and mm. passion for what I did. And um, so Gab was a teacher, Gabriella was a teacher, sorry, a nurse there. And she used to just have kids hanging off her hem, and she was just so loved. And one particular time I'd come around to her home, and she had fought tooth and nail to actually get approval to have this little girl who was a um, throat breather. She was a preemie baby, and she was about five years old. And seriously, she stole my heart. And you just realize Gab took her work home with her. 
and it was just done with such heart. And then we lost Gab, and we lost her to the fight of mental health, and she didn't know how to reach out and ask for help. And the really big deciding factor was understanding that she had um, consumed quite a significant amount of alcohol. Mm. And, you know, my heart broke just to actually realise that many people that die by suicide um, will have been under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Mm. And so for me, that was just kind of like the final step. And when I went into mental health first aid training, um, her cousin, Damien, helped me by the bus. And we we really didn't have the, the vision at that stage of calling it Gabriella. The first weekend I went away, I just had this vivid dream of Gabriella. And she was just with me. And we used to go down into nature and drinking glasses of wine and she was just so excited and she was saying you're doing the right thing and so we we named the bus that and it is a conversation piece and people do talk about it because in truth I think every person that's lost someone to suicide you ask yourself what didn't I see what should have I done what could have I done mm -hmm. and and I just asked myself over and over and over again and Damien does the same thing. And ironically, we talk about it. But what you will find with many families, internally the families don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really, um, you know, everyone's different. But I, I find it really healthy and it's really healthy and um, for Damien and I to be able to talk about it. It is absolutely fascinating as you're saying this. And I'm, I'm going to be careful how much I reveal here. I've just realised one of my family members has died to suicide, by suicide, through alcohol consumption. There you go. And we, like, obviously I know, I know this person has died and I, I know when it happened and I remember it and, um, you know, we all were there at the funeral, but we have never called it out for what it was and we've never spoken about it, ever. It's incredible. And this is it? a close family member, um... Remarkable. I can't, I, can't believe, I can't believe I'm just having this realisation now. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just a sort of taboo. I mean, suicide in itself is. There was a, a, a poor, affected man on a bridge um, just over Row Highway when I was leaving golf on Saturday. Um, all the services around. Um, he was there over an hour. We we will never know what happened, whether he jumped or, not, or he, you know, was rescued because they don't report these things. No. But it... it it still does need to be spoken about and and worked through and acknowledged for what it is. I think there's an issue where maybe it's just, oh, it's easier just to not talk about it. Well, no, it's interesting. Um, I uh, One of the topics that's covered in the youth mental health first aid is um, non-suicidal self-injury. Uh, in both of them, we, we do suicidal thoughts and behaviour in in one particular program and I'll be mindful to um, keep that identity um, confidential but this absolutely incredible human shared that they were a survivor at 15 mm -hmm. and had gone into hospital 
and had, I think, two to four weeks in hospital. And um, I now was meeting this woman at 45 in my program, and she was sharing with everyone that she had now survived the second suicide attempt. And during that 15 to 45, nobody talked about it. Yeah. And she was living in a with a shadow over her for all of that time. And it was only when she, um, that second time that she really truly started getting that help and support. Yeah. Right? And, and Which is what, good, sorry to interrupt, but just, a good time, sign of the times that they've changed. Absolutely. Because that, so this for me, is symbolic of now... Yeah. More generally, we can talk about these big yep. issues. Whereas, because yep. when you said at the beginning that you think it's it's getting better, but we're still a long way to go. Even in my experience, lived experience, and in I'm um, in my mid thirties, it feels like the conversation is being had now, where it wasn't when I was in hospital. Well, and I would go so far to say that the conversation is being had more so after COVID. That COVID mm. has been a catalyst to having different types of conversations. Yeah. Right? Because this is, a, you know, people realise the importance of connection, human connection, be it touch or conversation. Eight hugs a day, by the way, is <gasps> what you need. Eight <sighs> hugs a day. Who gets eight hugs? If you're in a relationship, maybe you're lucky enough to, but just to maintain our basic level of wow. serotonin and our happiness and mental health, eight hugs. Eight. I always steal them from whoever I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm grabbing one. Absolutely. Don't, don't you can grab a hug any time you want. Thanks, like, I had a great one when you came in, yeah. so thank you. Yeah. So, you know, um, it is, it's just, we're making huge progress and we need to make more progress. So it's things like your podcast where we're being open and honest mm. about uh, individual journeys because for me as a facilitator, I'd been facilitating youth mental health first aid programs and then I personally had some challenges in my health and life, um, i.e. I broke my ankle rollerblading and got an infection and that infection was so bad that they were talking about taking my leg and I got a central line. During the same period, I got Ross River virus, uh, sudden onset of surgical, sorry, surgical onset of menopause, and was going through family court. Now, for any one of those things, it's going to be challenging, but that found me experiencing mental health on a personal level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I teach, I teach and facilitate now differently because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'm really grateful for seeing how, how my mental health was managed and at times not managed by professionals. And yes, I I live by what I say in the fact that if we've got a if we've got a sore tooth, we go to a dentist and we need to actually really have a good relationship with our um, professional and I went to a psychologist had an incredible relationship mm -hmm. and that was 
able to give me some good strategies and manage um, that really challenging life. And I think it, I always say that at some point you should always see and have a, a therapist mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. it just teaches you so much about yourself and being human. Yeah, this is for the, what you've just said has brought up three major things I want to break down. Firstly, I find it fascinating that people invest time, energy and money into going to the gym to work on their physical health and yet there's still a stigma to work on your mental health. Surely the mind is the most powerful thing in our whole bodies and controls whether we get to the gym or not. So work on the mind. It's a no-brainer, excuse the pun. You work on the mind and then everything else will fall into place but I still that's the message I'm trying to yes. encourage yes, yes, people yes. and empower people to see the value in investing and if you go to a yoga class and you're super flexible you're going to get into deeper poses yeah. do more complex poses you're going to get more out of the class potentially if you go to a psychologist or someone in mental health when you're mentally sound guess what you're going to get more benefit you're going to be you're going to be equipped with the strength of mental health good mental health before you walk through that door if you have a broken leg and you go to the gym your prob's not doing your best sprint times (laughs) up 100 meters I love that analogy it's a beautiful analogy so why would you wait until your absolute rock bottom mental health I have a psychology appointment booked for the new year um I would say I'm probably at the most mentally sound place I've ever been yeah very content, very aware, lots of, I'm really equipped, I've worked on my mental health for over 20 years, but there's always work to be done. Absolutely. There's always value in it. So that, I'm so glad you mentioned that, that it's it's so important to treat it like a priority, like your teeth, like your physical health, like any other kind of health issue. Um, The other two things I really want to touch on is, Firstly, the importance of lived experience and people sharing their lived experience. I mean, that's kind of what I do here on the podcast is very openly share the fact that I have lived experience in the mental health um, space. But also, I recently read that people are now, major companies and businesses are prioritising people with lived experience. And I'm going to use an example of one of the nurses in hospital and poor guy, I won't name him, but... He was morbidly obese. Now, when I was in hospital, I was anorexic and I had a fear of putting on weight to a healthy degree. And although, yes, now I can see that he had lived experience with eating disorders because he had a a problem with food, I'm not going to trust someone who hasn't gone through the same sort of maybe experience. Every experience is different. So where would you, uh, hopefully you can suggest a couple, where would you go if you're listening to this and you think, actually, I do need some help and I need to maybe get some um, help from someone that has had lived experience and gets it and there isn't the stigma and there's not the taboo? Well, okay, so um, great questions. So first I want to cover the fact that, you know, um, it's really important. There's two things that come to mind that, for adults, as a general rule, why they don't seek help is because of a previous poor experience, right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of use the analogy of the dentist or the hairdresser. Have you got your favourite hairdresser? Have you got your favourite dentist? And most times people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but they've also conversely had a really bad experience with a hairdresser or a dentist, mm-hmm. but it hasn't turned them off the industry. You strive to find someone that resonates with you. So, um, and why I kind of extend on that, that's not going to be a simple um, answer because everybody is um, unique. WA has got one resource that I think is just a phenomenal resource, mm-hmm. and it's called Peer Pathways. Mm-hmm. And I'll put that in the notes of this Which episode. is fantastic. Yeah. And Peer Pathways are a, um, a government organisation which is an umbrella for all mental health services. And it's really hard to find appropriate services and they can really go down into minutiae on um, location and specific health conditions Mm -hmm. you know I contacted them about Rockingham with um, disassociate identity um, disorder and they were just able to go bang 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 for um, different specializing people in there so and they've got peer pathways as far as peers with lived experience and that's very different to your therapy that is a support group and um, just as critical and really resourceful. A bit like if we were to take a running analogy you've got your running buddy that you do yep. your 5k with and then you've got your running coach Yeah. and the coach would be yep. the, the psychologist or the professional, your running buddy is someone there just to make the journey a little bit easier. Exactly right and a mentor and you know yep. just and they will be in a different part of their journey yeah. further on. Or But now, the other thing too that I wanted to highlight is with your analogy of the eating disorders, I think it's really important to realise that we can empathise with someone despite the fact that our journey will be slightly different. Yeah. And I always say, don't compare or compete. Yeah. When we're listening to a story... Mm-hmm. The most valuable thing that you can do is give your two ears and truly listen with space, right? And if you can identify with the core emotion the the person may have felt or is expressing, then you can connect in an empathetic way. It doesn't mean that you have to have gone through the identical experience. That is so interesting you say that. And we're going to expand on what you just said because my next question is, what is a great thing or things to say and what are absolute no-nos? And I will just throw out a couple of absolute no-nos. Around mental health generally, don't go, oh, well, at least it's not as bad as... (gasps) So that's comparing <laughs> yes. right? Yeah, so just to sum up, yeah. sum up what we Beautiful. Um, I think it's important as a, a do is to say, I understand you. Sorry, not necessarily I understand you. I hear you. Oh, I love it. I hear you. I am not necessarily equipped to, to help you personally, but I will find the help for you. So it's okay to be vulnerable and humble and say, I, I don't know how to do this. And I'm not, I'm not singling out men specifically I'm just giving a personal experience unfortunately my dad bless him loved me so much he just tried to fix me no, to get to the solution no offense dad yeah, yeah, you're yeah. not a psychologist and a professional in eating disorders and yeah. suicide prevention yeah. so stop trying to fix me yourself and yeah. just put your hands up and say I, I, I admit that I don't know how to do this but I will find so there's a don't say this, and perhaps this is the solution. Have you got any others that just spring to mind? Or oh, I do. Like, um, you know, just get over it. 
is that is one of the worst things that you can say to yeah. someone, right? Just yeah. get over it, you know? Um, it's your choice. Just wake up and be happy. It's like, well, actually... It's actually not a choice because no one in their right mind would choose to have any sort of mental health disorder, Absolutely. addiction, disability, um, no. depression, any of that. You don't choose that. So, no. yeah, no, ludicrous that you would say, people would say that. So that, that's definitely one thing. The the things that I find helpful to say to people is just to actually ask, um, do you, you know, how can I best support you? Yes. Just uh, that simplicity of how can I best support you? Yes. Um, because as humans, we tend to think that we know the other person better or we have the tools to help them or we you know, are qualified to give advice. It's like... That someone's going to feel more supported, and chances are, and you mentioned this in your course, especially if you're a youth, you might not know how you need help, but being asked is so it's empowering. empowering. So, remember, yeah. it's all about empowering again. And so, that question just to actually go, So, how can I support you? And that may be practical support or emotional support. Yeah. Now, you may, and, and one of the things that I like to actually think of is what would you do for your neighbour that you loved that suddenly had to go into hospital because they had appendicitis? And there may be practical support. Yeah, you'd feed the cat. Yep. You'd get the mail in so it looks like, you know, someone's home. And But even before that, you would ask them, what, oh, yeah. what yeah. can I do and how can I help, right? Yep. Because they may already have someone that's going to be feeding the cat. But what might be really critical is, can you go and get a nighty for me? Because I don't want to wear those ugly bloody gowns, right? So just ask the simple question and understand that, particularly for youth, that they may not know. So we might have to give two or three options and just put them on the table and see if any of them resonate, yeah. right? I think it's important to, to also say, if you're going to ask... Please be prepared to listen. I love, I love the um, Are You Okay Day. So it's a day here, if for those that don't live in Australia, um, centred around um, mental health. It actually came from someone who suffered from ALS and then it's got turned, it's changed over the years. But it's grown into this huge mental health awareness day and the premise is you say, are you okay? And unfortunately, and I think it's a cultural thing, it's a language thing and it's a subtle um, just greeting thing here, people in Australia go, you right, mate? Or yeah. how's it going? Yeah. And then walk past. And it took it's, me years to realise that they're not actually caring how I'm going question. or, you know, you're right, mate. No one actually shows much care. So if you're going to ask someone, um, and we'll, I'll ask your advice on when is a good time, um, when you're going to ask someone how they are, please be aware that you have to listen and you have to take on their answer because... And well <laughs> said, well said, because I actually, you know, challenge people and say, during your week, when you come to work and you are doing your greetings for everybody, watch your language, because language informs so much about our thoughts and feelings and behaviour. Yeah. And when we're asking people, how was your weekend? And you're walking straight past, and all you're giving them time for is a short answer, good or bad, 
Yeah. Right? And so it's really a Or my absolute pet peeve, and I'm going slightly off a tangent, when people respond, not bad. Not bad. I'm not wow. asking you if you're bad. Wow, wow, wow. I'm asking you how you are. So tell me I'm average, I'm okay. Not bad basically is a double comparative negative. I don't even know the terminology yeah, English negative. literature. But it is yeah. so... It's a, ugh, I hate it as a response because it's saying nothing. Do you know, it's funny because I'll often say absolutely extraordinary. Some... Yeah, people can't handle that. And then they go... <laughs> Like, wow. Are you mad? Like, are you bonkers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it starts this amazing conversation. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll turn it around and say, what about you? And because I have not just parroted what we've been socially, you know, socialised to actually say, then it does get some really interesting conversations. So I love being provocative or thoughtful thoughtful yeah. with the language that we use yeah. and remembering that only 7% is communicated in words, the rest is non-verbals mm -hmm. and context. Yes. Well, that leads nicely to the when is a good time. So let's take a couple different demographics. So youth, if youth are, they've had a busy day at school, they've come home, they're on their computer game, they, they look like they're de-stressing, relaxing, enjoying the game, having a snack, like in their own little world, would that be a good time to go and ask them if they're all right? Probably not. Because <laughs> it's because they're doing their whatever their self-care is yes. already. And unless you can actually authentically enter into that world. Yeah. And so if it is gaming or anything to actually participate in it and start being involved with it. And where I'm thinking is if it was a game of basketball or a walk or anything like that, actually join in with the activity yeah. and then not actually ask about that mental health for quite some time. Yeah. So to actually build that authentic connection to whatever they're doing and conversations, because with young people, it's interesting, their shift of why they don't get help is really different. So 47% uh, of young people don't know why they wouldn't get help. So this is where trusted adults can go well and you know support that connection to the right professional. Yeah, I think it's important as well, and I shared this when we did the course, is it's very challenging when someone is in the depths of a mental health condition to not focus on that condition or cool. not, not make that the the main topic of conversation. of conversation. But one of the things that helped me so incredibly was when people started talking to me about me, about the little lost girl that was no longer there because anorexia had taken over. When people actually started talking to Olivia yeah. about her love of art and her love of sport and just sharing things. Obviously, yes, in certain situations, it is life-saving and crucial to have to talk about the mental health condition. But if that is the sole focus of conversation, guess what? That person is not going to want to have that conversation. They're going to shut down, retreat, go in, inwards And they more. will feel lost and yes. internalised. Yes. And so when is a good time? You need to use the context of that child, in, in, which makes it really tricky in the fact that if they're just rushing in and they're not a good morning person, then that's not going to be time. But one of the things that you want to try and focus on is to have time 
uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. Car. Perfect. If you can get in the car, <laughs> car. and moving, we've yep. said this before, haven't we? When, shoulder to shoulder. Especially with yep. teens, with youth, especially boys, actually. Maggie Dent talks about this quite a lot. Boys feel more comfortable when they are actually moving. Doing emotion, yep. emotion is emo- is feeling yeah. in motion. Yeah. So if you are able to actually put your youth, put your youth, put your child <laughs> in motion, it gives them a chance to, to feel... So they're doing this on a subconscious level, of course, but yeah. they will open up more. So go for a walk around the block, in the car, shoulder to shoulder. It's less intense than front yeah. on. Um, yeah, fantastic. And then I think with adults, it's probably a mutual um, joint appreciation for an activity that is not mental health related. Ideally, obviously, not at the pub. <laughs> Just based yeah. on everything we've been talking about, a sports fixture or bird watching or the cinema or anything that's just... Hobby. Well, in but just you know, I mean, I I also think the power of a cup of tea, mm. right? Yes, <laughs> it is that. just. In particularly when there's a process of a pot in making the tea, in having time together, because it's not rush, 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 mm. but it's about conversation and sitting down together, in. There is moments like that when you can have that connectedness and that's when it is really powerful to be able to just ask those questions. And it can be questions like, you know, your observations, you know, the change. Um, I've noticed that and using eye language. For me, one of the most powerful questions is related to sleeping. And it doesn't even necessarily, you know, it's, have the co- uh, the context of mental health. It's just like, you know, um, how are you sleeping at the moment? Mm. And in if somebody has just had a child and they know very well why they're not sleeping, then that will come out in the conversation as well. But then you can help them and remind them that there are other things like eating well and drinking enough water other things and exercise that are they doing those other fundamental things to actually take care of their health whilst they can't sleep so um that sleeping conversation just unpacks so much yeah in a very non-threatening way well yeah because a lot of people will say well actually um really rubbish and then it's like so what's happening you know before you go to bed what's is it because you your mind is not switching off what's going on? Yeah. And then that's when you can have the beautiful, rich conversations. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And that um, has led to so a lot of people, and a lot of my episodes are around self-awareness. And unfortunately, a lot of people are not self-aware. So there's going to be thousands, not listening to this sadly, but millions of people in the world that don't know that they're probably not firing on all cylinders within their mental health capacity. They probably are so used to this sort of low frequency of mm, life's dull, but whatever, I get through it, that they don't know that they might be mildly depressed or have some anxiety or this or that. So I wanted to ask you, and you do it at the start of most of your sessions, you pick um, five mm-hmm. things, and I think that's really powerful to share. So if you could share how you could maybe shed some insight for people around just giving them awareness of, huh, am I actually in the best mental health place I can be right now? Well, in the five things, so I started asking people 
what are five things that give you joy? And the first time I did this, it was actually in a prison setting. I was lucky enough to be working with an organisation that went into prisons and we were working with um, with people that were going to be released soon. So, and we needed to build that confidence and resilience. And I I asked them, and my my topic was confidence and resilience. And I would say to them, you know, what is it that gives you confidence? And all of them had forgotten about the simple joys and what actually gave them joy. So um, I started by writing it on a card, a long card, and I'd fold it back and forward, back and forward, and spray it with perfume, because they're not allowed perfume. And they would keep it, once they'd thought of the five things that gave them joy, they would keep it in their pocket, because if they were having a bad day, they could just feel it and knew that it was in their pocket. And so this has now become a real stable of all my workshops. And I'm astounded because I put a couple of rules around it. No surprise, no surprise, no drugs or alcohol, no food and no people. Now, I know that it seems contradictory to actually have no people because we know connection gives you joy. However, other people are not responsible for your joy, right? We are responsible for our own joy. A lot of people, just to stop your flow, won't agree with what you've just said. People will use people and, and see that others are, an ob it's an obligation that they add joy to their life. But I would I absolutely, 100% agree with you. Our joy is our responsibility solely. And people, as a bonus, of course, will add joy to your life, but you cannot rely on that person to Correct. give joy. And, and, and live the reason that people will struggle with that concept is, again, socially, in all our movies, it, it drives me nuts when I see <laughs> movies and hear movies, you complete me. Yeah. You know, um, Better half. Not a half. I'm my own whole person. Oh, thank you very much. I know. <laughs> and then one plus one is great, greater than its equal parts, oh, right? Oh, yeah. And so for me, there is mixed messages. And I think... Um, if we can be independent humans that can enrich other humans' lives, fantastic, yeah. right? It's a win-win. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and without putting too much emphasis, there are some people that really struggle with that concept that people can't be. And possibly because they haven't gifted themselves the opportunity to find out their joys. Correct. They've been not slaves, but they've been of service to other people, they've been parents, they've been in a career, they've yep. forgotten how to bring joy to their lives and they haven't prioritised it. And that's the whole point of the list is then you go on to go, when's the last time, time you did these things? Exactly. And I have to admit, every time I've done this, I think it's three times now, I have done all five of those things in every single day. I do them daily awesome. without thought. It's not an effort, it's not a chore. It's just I do not have a day where I don't go to the ocean. I don't have a day if I don't pet my cat, I don't have a day where I don't do exercise, you know, every day. But for some it's weeks, they, they it's not struggle. Months. They struggle and yeah. then, um, and as you say, I actually ask them once that's happened, how often have you done this? Yeah. 
and it's that realisation and it's simple things. It is really simple things. Yeah. For me, bubbles and that uh-huh. started way back from converting from alcohol bubbles to the bubbles that you blow, small, big and in between. Yeah. And I see so much joy in them float away into the air. So, But it is, we need to be sensitive to our own emotional regulation yeah. and we need to know what gives us joy and we can get lost. And I started this by saying, I got lost. I got lost and thought my identity was the wine industry, my reputation that I built there. And I think sometimes life's adversities give you this incredible opportunity Mm-hmm. And that's how I see it now because those five things I can list and they will shift and change for seasons. Yeah. But what's so important about the five things is that sometimes people do have the self-awareness that they're not in a great headspace. Yeah. And then it's like, shit, where to from here? Yeah. Whereas it's as simple. It's not going to maybe eradicate all your issues, but as long as you have the awareness that something's not great... Brilliant. Now we're giving you the next step, which is list five things that brought you joy. If you can't remember, what brought you joy as a a child? Because chances are you're still going to have that innate kind of connection to that source of joy. And do more of those things. And that will absolutely have a positive impact. It doesn't have to be this huge, complicated, twelve maybe 12-step program, but or psychs and this and that, self-help books and discovery courses. It can just be give a little more time to you to be... Gifting yourself happiness. Well, and, you know, it's funny that you should say that because self-care, which on its own definition is the purposeful things that we do for our physical and our mental health. Yet, when we call it self-care, we actually think that that's almost a luxury and we should feel guilty about self-care. And I would encourage anybody, even in circumstances that are challenging, to capture moments. Be it if it's a bath where you put boundaries around for 45 minutes that you are not to be disturbed disturbed, (laughs) and can have a blissful bath with a candle and a book in your hand, right? I I remember as a 12-year-old, and my sisters, twin sisters, were 13 at the time, and mum went to Australia, and this was shortly, I can't remember, before or after my parents separated, but Lucy and Emma, my sisters, were furious. They were upset. They were like, how can mum abandon us? It's unfair, blah, blah, blah. And because I've always been slightly older soul and maybe a little bit wiser than my youth, I remember thinking, mum has not had a minute, a day to herself, in 13 years, mm. where she hasn't had twins and a... Uh, another one, just like a year later, 13 years. Yeah. And I said to mum, thank you. Thank you. I mean, this is how weirdly advanced I was at 12, but thank you for taking two weeks to yourself because Amazing. you have come back cool. as a better mum. I know now that you are going to be more relaxed. You're going to have more energy. You're going to have more tolerance. Uh-huh. you have more resilience. Thank you, mum. And I want you to do that more so that you can be a better mum for us. And she broke down crying, and it was this lovely moment, and Lucy and Emma were like, Ooh, what's going on? But um, I recognised then yeah. the importance, and mums feel this like guilt that, oh, yeah. I can't do Pilates because little one's got to, whatever. No, for, you're going to be a better parent if you yourself 
are gifting yourself resilient like mental health your happiness your five things a day whatever it is you need you you're doing your children a disservice if you don't work on yourself well in and all your friends and your yeah your not just your kids 100%. you don't have to be a parent this, this all applies to everybody so yeah if i selfishly take you know time to go to uh, for a walk it's not i'm doing that for the good of everybody because everyone's going to benefit from the best version of me so we've got to change the narrative around self-care let's like say it's not selfish it's selfless and it's you know brilliant. i i am amused by the fact that my first career was as a flight attendant and when when you tell people put your own oxygen mask on first mm -hmm. that's what we're describing here mm -hmm. yeah yeah and the the subtlety what happens is we don't notice our own health deterioration because it's by such small things that it happens mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden by the time we've noticed we're in trouble yeah often yeah and and this is if we are not prioritizing our self-care and you know and just like if we were in an aircraft with our oxygen you there's such a thing called hypoxia and you actually think you are highly functioning mm. whereas you will keel over and you'll be dead you need somebody else to put your oxygen mask on so it's really fascinating and it always strikes me as such a appropriate thing to actually just remind um, parents humans put your own oxygen mask on and then you can help others. Yeah. And I think that leads nicely. We'll possibly end on this. We could talk about this forever, but I try and keep mm. it un under an hour. In that if you feel like you don't have the capacity, the energy, the mental strength, the resilience, the emotional, whatever, it's okay oh, it, to say, is. I'm really sorry. I'm a, and, and this is specifically for empaths and very sensitive people and helpers and people that like to... You know, I don't know why Gabs is no longer with us and why mm. she chose to do what she did, but maybe she was carrying too much load. And I think it's really brave, but really important to say, I'm sorry, I don't have it in me right now. I, I've i been helping so many other people. And I had to say this to uh, someone very close to me recently. I said, this is, this is my job. I work in the mental health space a lot. And unfortunately, right now in this moment in time, I don't have the capacity and they couldn't understand that. And that's unfortunately, you know, broken that connection. But it's so important to protect ourselves. You've got to have your own boundaries and yep. realise that the reason you have boundaries are for a healthy um, approach to work-life balance. Yep. And um, there are times that you are not going to be able to have the emotional bandwidth, I call it, and capacity for people. Um, and that's okay. And... Um, you know, with at times when we are concerned about a friend and we don't have the bandwidth, that's when it's okay to actually have a constructive conversation with another friend. That's not gossip, mm -hmm. right? And to actually get that wraparound support and remembering that when we are empowering another person, it shouldn't feel too heavy for us. Mm -hmm. And if we are feeling really overwhelmed by it, that's a red flag that we are being too immersed in it and we need to be able to find that boundary to separate 
um, their feelings and yours. And as an empath, we can read energy, but we need to actually also have those boundaries. I liken it to a well. And yeah. if someone is down a well, you're not there's not going to be any value if you jump in with them because then you without both, a ladder to get yes because then you yep. both step down the well. Yep. Whereas if you stand on the edge and you lob over a ladder or a bit of rope or something, then you can help. You're empowered. You're in a position of strength. Two people who are rock bottom are not going to help each other up, no. and we'll end on a energy comment because we are both an absolute belief. I mean, it's fact. Everything and everyone is energy, whether Absolutely. people have that mindset or not. But like will attract like. So, in terms of who you socialize with at this festive time around Christmas and who um, you continue to take forward into the new year, like will attract like. If you are vibing with people who are a positive influence, bring you joy, make you laugh, you know, kind, all that, that will add more of all of those things into your life. If you're hanging out with people who are having negative behaviors, they don't treat you very nicely, they don't respect you, they don't value you, guess what? You're going to have more of that in your life. So yeah. choose wisely and attract the kind of energy that you want to receive back by being that energy and putting your best self out there. And being honest, as you said, and I love what you said, is there are times that I'll say to people, continue to ask me, at this particular moment, I don't have the bandwidth, but mm. I'd love to be able to you know, do whatever that was um, in the future. Yeah. And I think um, when we can be honest with ourselves and to have that vulnerability with our friends, that's when it's true friendship, right? Mm. When you have those moments that you can support each other and then also others where we need to back off. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. I will encourage everyone to um, listen to this. And Beautiful. if you've gotten to this part, you have listened to it. So well done. I'm sure that a lot has come up. So just take care. I recommend that off the back of this, actually, personally, write down some things that have come up for you. And um, get, getting out on paper can help you kind of sort through Absolutely. some of that. Reach out to a friend. Reach out to some of the um, sources that I've put at the bottom of this episode. And um, yeah, well done for gifting yourself this episode because I think it's been really informative and hopefully empowering for a lot of people and thank you so so much for your thank time. Thank you. Thank you everyone amazing. and take care and make sure that over the Christmas festive season that you concentrate on that self-care. Beautiful. Take care everybody. Bye.